Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anil Polat. We've got a lot to talk about in today's episode around the world in travel and tech with a couple of follow-ups from last week. First of all, starting off with our pilots forgetting how to fly due to the coronavirus pandemic. It seems that, yeah, pilots are getting rusty and mistakes are being made. So if you're scared of flying, this is going to terrify you just even more. But chances are you're not flying a lot anyway these days, which in turn causes this issue about pilots forgetting how to fly. And it goes into this cycle. So we're going to talk about what the cycle is, how pilots stay sharp, and how we're going to get all these pilots back to work once things start to resume, hopefully later this year. Then after, I want to talk about Stadia. And there's been a lot of news about Stadia even since the last episode about Stadia shutting down its gaming operations. We're going to talk a little bit about that. The Best City to Travel tournament is no longer, at least for this year, it's getting on hiatus because, well, you guessed it, we can't do a lot of traveling. But I want to talk a little bit about the contest, the genesis, the history of the contest, and future contests going forward. And then I've got a guest, Stuart Shuffman, who wrote the article that I read last week, Stop Going to Mexico. I thought it'd be interesting to get his take. He reached out and we talked a little bit on Twitter. So I thought it'd be nice to sort of get more information and talk about what brought about that article, his thoughts, talking a little bit about influencers as well. So we've got that at the end of the show. But first, a couple of things that you might have missed from foxnomad.com or my YouTube channel. The first one is an article about the narrowing gap between power and portability. The article goes into what that actually means. Our tech is getting smaller, but it's remaining more powerful. There are less trade-offs between tech and portability. But for those of you who've seen the video and you watch all the way to the end, that video kind of took a different turn and I wasn't expecting it to, but during the editing process, I really realized that tech, what it's allowing us to do is actually something more profound than just electronics. It's something more profound than just vacations. It's something bigger that's potentially happening and we're right at the very beginning of it. At least that's my my take. So if you haven't seen the video, I, I recommend that you you watch until the end. Uh, I think it's an interesting take and we're at the beginning of a new revolution in travel and tech. We're just starting and it's been a little bit quiet because we didn't do much traveling in 2020, but tech just continued to roll on and on and on. And I think this narrowing gap between power and portability really makes for an exciting future in travel. And also on foxnomad.com, I've got the three Apple shows, Apple TV shows that you should really check out if you're missing travel I think you're going to love the list. I can highly, 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 highly recommend those three series. So just check that out, foxnomad.com. You'll find it. Those are some things that will help kind of reignite your wanderlust if you haven't been traveling and you are having major withdrawal as I am. But for now, let's get into the first story, which is pilots are forgetting how to fly. So this article is from The Independent. Pilots report feeling rusty after months of not flying. Quote, pilots have reported making more errors in flight due to being out of practice after being grounded as part of COVID-19 restrictions. Since last May, U.S. pilots have reported at least a dozen mishaps to the anonymous NASA Aviation Safety Reporting ASRA system, attributing the reason partly to feeling rusty after not flying for months during the pandemic. They reported making errors such as forgetting to turn on the de-icing mechanism in flight, forgetting to disengage the parking brake before takeoff, and taking three attempts to land a plane on a windy day. Now, to be fair to these pilots, as someone who has no flying experience, I too would have trouble landing a plane on a windy day. 
The LA Times continues, the key to flying safely is frequency, says Richard McSpadden Jr., Senior Vice President at the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association's Air Safety Institute. That is a mouthful. Quote, you're not as sharp if you haven't flown for a while, unquote. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, airlines have dramatically reduced the number of flights on some routes and in some cases eliminated service to low-demand destinations. In April and May, the number of daily takeoffs in the U.S. dropped about 75% below pre-pandemic levels. In recent months, those numbers have risen to about 43% below pre-pandemic times. So far, there have been no reported incidents of out-of-practice pilots causing accidents that have injured passengers. Aviation experts say there are enough backup systems in modern passenger jets to prevent minor oversights from becoming serious accidents. However, an Airbus 330 passenger jet trying to land at Kuala Namu International Airport in Indonesia on September 15th veered off the runway and into adjoining dirt and weeds. None of the passengers were injured. Indonesia's transportation safety agency known as the KNKT concluded that, quote, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the operation department had difficulties trying to maintain pilot proficiency. The agency also said that the plane's second-in-command had not flown in the previous 90 days and that the pilot had flown less than three hours in the previous 90 days. Why is this 90 days such a big deal? Well, to ensure pilots in the U.S. maintain proficiency even when they are not scheduled for work for long stretches of time, the United States Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, bars pilots from flying a commercial jet unless they have performed at least three takeoffs and three landings either on a plane or in a simulator in the previous 90 days. But the FAA amended that requirement twice last year, giving pilots more leeway. For pilots who did not perform three takeoffs and three landings in the last 90 days before September 2020, the FAA gave them a 60-day grace period. For pilots who didn't meet the requirement before December 31st, the FAA amended the rules again, adding another 30-day grace period. Some airlines, though, are not using these grace periods. For example, United Airlines, they've said that their pilots have to meet the FAA's original 90-day proficiency policy before going back to work and have not used any grace periods. Quote, our pilots only leave our training center when they are fully trained, comfortable, and ready to fly. Quote. And this makes sense for a lot of things that we do. A lot of things have not been normal. So if, you're, if you've lost your job due to the pandemic or if you can't do your regular activities, or if you've ever tried talking to another human being in the last year, you probably realize that you've forgotten how to do any of that because of the pandemic. A major difference being with pilots, though, is that these systems are highly regulated and scrutinized. So when pilots start making more mistakes, those things can be caught early on and they can be retrained or maybe change their training procedures, which I think is going to have to happen, especially as more pilots uh, get back into the field. And it looks like, based on this article, that most pilots right now are out of work. The Independent says just 43% of the world's pilots are still flying for a living, according to a survey carried out by the aviation publisher Flight Global and Goose Recruitment. Of that number, 30% said they were unemployed and another 17% were furloughed, 6% were still employed in aviation, and 4% were working in another industry entirely. Now, it would be interesting to have another guest, like we've had a, a, our pilot Tasha talk to us a little bit about piloting, but I'd be curious to know if, if the simulator, maybe they get rusty if they haven't been in the simulator enough. Maybe the simulator is a little bit different than the plane. I don't think so, but I'm kind of curious as to why pilots aren't getting into simulators more frequently. Maybe there's a some cost prohibitive thing that the airlines, maybe it's expensive to do that. Maybe that there are social distancing requirements, so kind of work from home, don't come to the simulator kind of thing. So I'm curious as to why this is happening, but it is something that I don't think is going to be limited to just pilots. 
I think a lot of us are going to be rusty. A lot of fields, a lot of industries going to be rusty as things hopefully, hopefully, I keep saying it, hopefully start to get normal later this year. All right, so now moving on to Stadia, this story just keeps getting crazier. I don't know what Google is thinking. So I'm going to start out with some weird news, just some random news. Now that, you know, Google has shut down, as I mentioned last week, they've shut down making their own games, their own gaming studio, making games for Stadia. Stadia is their mobile gaming platform, which you can play games through a web browser. So you open up a web browser and you can play all these games like NBA 2K. You can play all sorts of games that don't come to mind right now. But if you're a gamer, there you go. As I mentioned last week, it's only really for, you know, because you need a very fast internet connection. You need a lot of bandwidth. So you can't play this when you're traveling. So you can't play this when you're on a plane, for example, because you need a very strong internet connection. But it might work for people who have a Mac, who don't already have an Xbox or PlayStation and want to game PC games. It's pretty much the only people that this is for, really, that I can think about that would be worth getting a Stadia. So having said that, now that Google is no longer making games for Stadia, it's kind of interesting that they put out this news, which is Stadia now comes pre-installed on all new Chromebooks. This is from 9to5Google. It says, while the question marks and doom do unfortunately surround the cloud gaming platform at the moment, Google will be hoping for big growth and confirming that all new Chromebooks will come with Stadia pre-installed. So it seems like Google is saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to make games, but we're going to have Stadia pre-installed. And by the way, there's nothing to install for Stadia. You literally just go to a web page on a Chrome browser and then you're there. You can play Stadia games. So essentially what they're doing is, is just building the link into the operating system. It's either going to be on the desktop or it's going to be pre-installed on Chrome is my guess. And that looks like how they're going to say it. There's not many details in this article as to what this actually means because it's just really a link. So it's like maybe they're just going to have the bookmark pre-installed or something like that. So there's really nothing to install with Stadia, but I think this gets a little bit news about Stadia and maybe Google is trying to figure out maybe we can get a couple more people to use Stadia that weren't already using it, but the Chromebook market isn't that big anyway. So there's that. Now, the flip side of this story gets a lot darker. So according to ARS Technica, we've got Terraria developer cancels Google Stadia port after YouTube account ban. Now, for those of you who don't know, Terraria is a game with over 30 million active users, but Google recently banned the developer's YouTube account. What that means, for those of you who don't know, you're probably familiar actually, that Google uses one account for everything. So your Gmail account is your YouTube account, is your Google Drive account is your all your Google services account. So if they block you for one of them, you can't get into everything. The article starts by saying Google is in hot water after banning the Google account of Andrew Spinks, the lead developer of the hit indie game Terraria. The YouTube account of Spinks's game development company Relogic was hit with some kind of terms of service violation, resulting in Google banning Spinks's entire Google account, greatly disrupting his company's ability to do business. After three fruitless weeks of trying to get the situation fixed, Spinks announced that his company will no longer do business with Google and that the upcoming Stadia version of Terraria is cancelled. Quote, I will not be involved with a corporation that values their customers and partners so little, quote, Spinks said. Doing business with you is a liability. Now, given that Stadia is floundering, this seems like a very odd move by Google because there don't seem to be any visible or apparent terms of service violations. And Stadia as a floundering, as I keep saying, floundering gaming service really needs games. It 
Google's not making their own games for it. They need the most popular games to be on Stadia for this to even have a hope. So maybe this news is Google is really just going to shut down Stadia quietly at the end of this year and they don't care. But it's kind of odd that they're going to target the Terraria team altogether. I don't understand what this move is. Going on in this article, quote, Spink says his entire Google account has been down for three weeks now and Google has done nothing but giving me the runaround. You can view the quality of Google support on Twitter for yourself. After a tweet from the official Terraria account, YouTube support declined Relogic's request to solve the problem privately, choosing instead to publicly offer irrelevant suggestions to the game developer who, like I mentioned before, has over 30 million customers. First, YouTube asked if Relogic could access its banned email account, in which the developer already explained he was banned, and this thread just goes on and on. If you've ever had to deal with Google support for anything, they're pretty much useless. It's amazing to me that the entire world relies on Google so much. We rely on them for Gmail, for YouTube, for all kinds of things. Google Drive, businesses are integrated with this stuff. But the customer support, like trying to find a phone number or a human being to talk to at that company is pretty much useless. It's amazing that that is a thing. Like they don't have actual customer support. I don't know how that happens. It's terrifying to get locked out of one account and then just lose your business. As I'm saying it right now, Google, please don't do that to me. It terrifies me. But you know, you can just completely be shut down. And if they can do it to someone as big as Terraria, just imagine what they can do to anybody else. And I don't know if this is a malicious act. I don't think so. It seems like it's just kind of one of those dumb things that has happened. Maybe it wasn't premeditated, but I think that the customer service or lack thereof is the reason that Terraria is still locked out of their accounts. And now Stadia has lost another big game from their platform. And like I said, I think Google is just happy to see Stadia die a slow, quiet death, which is a shame because Stadia has a great concept. And I think there's a lot there that could be done, a lot there that could be improved. It would have been nice to see what Google's gaming development division could have come up with, but we're not going to see any of that. And I'm guessing if Stadia is your only gaming platform for now, you better enjoy it while you can because it doesn't look like it's going to make it through 2021. And continuing on with the bad news, let's talk about the best city to visit travel tournament. For those of you who followed me for any amount of time, you know that February, about now, about middle February, is when the best city to visit travel tournament begins. And it begins with me sending out my newsletter subscribers, link in the description if you want to check that out in the show notes. But that email goes out and it asks everybody to give me their favorite city in the world. The first 64 people to reply are entered into a contest where they win money or some prizes. I have given out since the inception of this contest over $15,000. I want to say it's closer to 20 or so, and that's over the last about 10 years of the contest. So seeing that there's no best city to visit travel tournament because, well, it doesn't make sense to really have one. Last year's winner, Singapore won in April. So the contest is a round robin tournament. It's like March Madness. If you're familiar with that, the tournament goes every week. Everybody votes. All the audience, all of you guys just vote every week for your best cities. They get matched up one by one against each other. And then they're eliminated from 64, 32, 16, 8, 4, 2 to 1 champion. Last year, Singapore won the entire thing. But that was in April. That's when the contest ends, usually the first or second week of April. And by that time, COVID restrictions had hit pretty much everywhere in the world. We were all locking down. And my chances of getting to Singapore dropped to about 0%. And I didn't go. And that's usually a tradition with the best city to visit travel tournament. I go to the winning city. So it wasn't always like that. And I'll get into the 
brief history of the best city to visit travel tournament, but I usually go to the winning city. And since I couldn't make it to Singapore, it doesn't seem logical to hold the contest now when most people aren't really planning travel. We can't go to a lot of places. And I haven't been to Singapore yet. I mean, I've been before, but I didn't go for the contest. And I'd really like to go and visit it. So I'm holding off holding off 2021's contest because I don't think a lot of us will get to travel soon. And depending on you know what city wins, it might be hard to get there. There might be lockdowns. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. So that's what I'm trying to say. But let's talk just quickly about the best city to visit travel tournament. I think the first one I did was in 2010. It was a very small contest. I had no idea that I was going to go to the winner, and I didn't go to the first couple of winners. But then in 2011, the contest really blew up, and that was with Porto. So Porto took over, I mean, the city itself took over the tournament, and it became, it went just completely viral, just completely mad. It was amazing. I went to Porto. I had a great time. I loved it. Next year, everybody said, you know, Porto's definitely going to win again, definitely going to win again. And then Sarajevo came up out of nowhere as the sort of the, the, the underdog and took over the contest. And everybody said, you know what? Nobody can ever beat Sarajevo. Nobody's ever going to get that many votes. Well, then the, the Romanians came in. The Romanian cities started to win the contest. They won three years in a row. And everyone said, you know what? No way from Craiova to Campina, no way another country is going to win. Like, you got to ban Romania. And I was like, no, let, let, let's see where the contest goes. And then, you know, Granada stops it. And then up until then, Granada, they win in a very close contest against a Romanian city. And people say, you know, nobody can beat Spain. And up until that point, no city had ever won the contest back to back. No city had ever won the contest two years in a row, let alone twice. So no city had ever won twice. Granada then becomes the second city to win it all. They win two years in a row, and it was just a bunch of fun. I invited some of my blogging friends, Jesse on a Journey, uh, Wandering Earl, and my friend Daniel Galan, who runs El Viaje del Mapache. So we all met up. We had a great time exploring the city, writing about the city, filming the city, Granada was a bunch of fun. So that's kind of a short history of the best city to visit travel tournament. I love doing it at this time of the year because it's when we're sort of recovering from tech season of last year up until December. It's sort of the time of year when I think a lot of us are making travel plans. Uh, I enjoy the people's, your pride that you have in your cities. And it gives me new places to go and just, you know, even... The cities that don't win, I mean, you know, there's only going to be one winner out of the 64 cities, but there are always a couple of cities who, you know, I see and I'm like, I've never, I don't think I've heard of that place. So I didn't expect that place to be in the contest. So it hopefully gives you, like it gives me a lot of new travel ideas on where to go. That's one of the fun things about the contest. I love it. I kind of like letting it just do its thing. I don't like to restrict it any. There are a couple of changes that I made. So now, things are regional. I used to do it, you know, cities would just enter the tournament in the order that they were selected. So the first 64 people uh, who would enter the contest, you know, would get their city in. But now I kind of do it regionally. And that's because we were getting a lot of entries from a couple of certain countries. So we decided to, to make that change. I might change it back. I don't know. I don't know what your preferences are. But since we're talking about it, since we're talking about contests, and there's not going to be one, I'm not going to have this grand prize for any of you. I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I do like giving away money. So 
Let's do this. So today, the time you're hearing this is going to be February 12th. Let's make a mini podcast contest, shall we? Let, let's do it for $100. We'll do it for a gift card to Amazon or Apple. We'll do it to one of those stores. All you have to do is leave a rating for the Fox Nomad podcast, five stars. Leave your rating in the notes. You know, just, just say something nice about the podcast. What do you like about the podcast? Leave it and email me at foxnomad at foxnomad.com. Email me by when is a week from now. Let's see when that is. Let's do it uh, by the end of February 19th. I'll put all the contest rules in the show notes, just the times and everything. But let's say the end of February 19th, U.S. Eastern Time, midnight, so 11.59 p.m. on February 19th. If you send me your review, just screenshot it or, or email it to me or send me the link or whatever. On whatever platform you're listening to the podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to the podcast... Go ahead and do that, and you could win $100. I'll go random, so we'll pick one of them randomly. So that's a, a sort of a mini. It's not, I know, not as fun or as large as the Best City Visit Travel Tournament, but it's it's a small little something. It might might, might be nice. Maybe, uh, you know, if you've been shopping for something, it'll take $100 off of that. And I, I hope to do more of these uh, contests throughout the podcast, so just keep an eye out for that. But now we're going to switch over to my discussion with Stuart Shuffman about his article in the San Francisco Examiner that came out earlier last month called Stop Going to Mexico. Is it vacation colonialism? Should people not take vacations? Should people take local vacations? We want to get into all of that right after this. So, uh, yeah, so thanks thanks for, for doing the podcast. Um, I, I came across your article and it resonated with me because we were just talking about it before I hit record that, you know, what's the reaction of, of your article, which is stop going to Mexico. Um, and I see a lot of people who are in Mexico right now, especially bloggers and bloggers and, you know, a lot of excuses. I do see that. And I see like, Oh, you know, but I did this and this, so it's fine. And, and uh, I think a lot of people are also don't want to talk about it too much because they don't want to shame, I guess is the word, but, I mean, I, I think you put it pretty, pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just, a, I get it, you know, like, I don't want to be at home in a pandemic either, you know, like, and at the very beginning, I mean, I was only I had other ideas, I couldn't fit in the article because it was it's for print initially, and then uh, also digital. Uh, but you know, um, you know, I initially, I, when it all happened, me and my uh, buddy, who's like my business partner, we were like, why don't we just, you know, decamp to Mexico during this and, you know, with some people. And, and it was a good idea for a second. And we really thought about it. There's a lot of, a lot of problems with it. Obviously, like, um, once again, being, I don't want to bring, possibly bring a disease to a, a locale that has a lot less infrastructure and um, the ability to handle uh, a, a pandemic than, you know, I'm coming from the Bay Area where there's like, everything's here to like a remote part of Mexico. So it's like a terrible idea. And on top of that, if I got sick in Mexico, uh, the last thing I'd want to be is in a remote hospital, you know? So I think it's, you know, it's, it's selfless and selfish too, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you because, I, I, yeah, you know, because there's, it's hard to justify going to an air because, you know, once you're in Mexico, I would assume like you, you can probably, if you, really socially distanced and warm if you did all the things you could probably get away with it but a lot of people leave out the whole getting there part which is you know you've got to 
get to the airport, you're in contact with a bunch of people in the airport, you're on a plane, you know, you're, there's so much more contact that seems kind of unnecessary right now, you know, to travel to another country for a vacation. Yeah, and you're also taking resources from the people that are there. Mexico is the fourth worst in the world uh, with uh, COVID right now. And, you know, uh, the people, if, if you're like an American who's there vacationing and now you have to get on a plane, now to get on a plane to come home, you have to take a test and, and pass the test and say you don't have COVID to get able to go home to get the States. Um, you know, it's hard right now. It's hard for, especially in the more rural places, for Mexican citizens to get tested, right? But for Americans who are staying at these resorts and these hotels, they're able to just buy the test. So they're like effectively, not only they're possibly spreading the disease, but then like actively paying money so that the people who are there who need the resources aren't getting the resources. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's sort of a weird situation because I'm in the kind of, I mean, you know, I mean, my business is based on me traveling. A lot of it is. And I haven't done it really any of it in the last year. I did see someone who did, who recently went to Mexico from the US, a, a blogger. And, you know, they said, well, the situation in the U.S. is really bad. So I felt safer in Mexico, um, which I think is kind of an odd argument because there's so much more contact. I mean, you're just basically exposing yourself to so many more people. There's just, there's just there's no way around it. I mean, I, how do you feel about that? I mean, do you think that's ridiculous or I mean? I mean, I don't know. It's. Mexico has always been marketed to the states as anything, you know, whatever happens in Mexico stays in Mexico or, you know, it's a place to get away kind of thing. And so I think that like you can definitely have like a uh, a cognitive dissonance there where you're like, well, I mean, I get it. like, you know, like, if you're if the drudgery of your daily life is barely leaving your house, the thought of being on a beach is magical, you know, and like you probably don't you, you either don't think about it or you don't allow yourself to think about the actual realities of of the interactions. You don't think about the fact that you uh, are going to come across so many people just to get there. And then when you get there, you come across the, you know, the poor people who are working in the places you're staying, who, who don't have the, the resources you have, you know? Um, and it's, you know, like I said, taking the resources from those people, like, it's like in the article, I said, it's like vacation colonialism, you know, it's, it's really just like, you're literally like a rich person who's going to go take resources from people who are poor in their country. Sorry. And like, you know, uh, the, the economic arguments, because like to full disclosure, and I wasn't able to put this in an article because I ran out of space, but um, I was actually in Mexico during, a, um, well, it wasn't a pandemic during, but it was an epidemic accidentally, uh, like 10 or 12 years ago, I was there during swine flu. Um, I was trying to get to Cuba, flying from the States to uh, Cancun, and, you know, was hopefully getting on the plane from Cancun to uh, Cuba, and um, Cuba was not allowing flights at all. From Mexico to Cuba, and so it was like, well, fuck it, we're, we're in the Mayan Riviera. It could be worse, and it was kind of eerie because, like, uh, there was nobody, there was no tourists there, right? And um, it was it was heartbreaking, tra tragically heartbreaking to see um, the people who rely on tourist money not having an income. You know, uh, like I mean, it was it almost brought me to tears in some places. Um, but the flip side is, you know, like 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 most of the European governments are doing. Um, the government should be stepping in instead of relying on tourist dollars to support your people. You, Mexico's got plenty of money. The Mexican government has plenty of money. I mean, just their oil reserves alone, you know, uh, they should be taking care of the people so they don't have to work and get sick. Uh, but you know what? We should be doing the same in the U.S. too. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a kind of <clears throat> similar thing. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it breaks my heart. And the funniest thing 
is I guess not funny, kind of funny, but ironic is like the people that I see most in my feeds are like the, the quote unquote wellness community, you know, or the con- conscious community. People are like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I'm just gonna go to Tulum because it's spiritual and I want to do yoga. And it's like, man, don't give me that, sh-. you know. That's you know, like it's the idea. Of like, I've just got to focus on me right now. Is fine. Like self healing is beautiful, but not when it's at the expense of other people's health. You know. Yeah, and it kind of, I think, you know, like from the influencer world, it's kind of unusual because there are places around anybody. I think anywhere in the world, there's stuff that you can show. Like you don't have to always go to an exotic location and and everywhere is somewhere like foreign to somebody, right? So like, I, I don't think it's necessarily different. But then at the, like you mentioned the article, there's also the fact that, you know, Mexico is pretty open. So it's Mexico, Albania, Turkey, these countries that have really opened up. They haven't really made many restrictions. So I can see people who are thinking, maybe people are thinking, well, it, maybe it is not as big of a deal because the country is so open. If it was so bad, then they would lock down more. You know, I think there's also maybe some of that going on. Well, I mean, that's the same problem with our country too. I mean, with the United States, it's like, um, you know, because the Trump administration actively suppressed information and spread disinformation they actively spread disinformation about a, a, a very deadly pandemic it allowed space for the conspiracy theories to creep in and a lot of people to be like well if the federal government's not doing anything it must not be real or it must not be important and like you know it's really irresponsible and foolish for sure on, on the government's part but also like um people need to take responsibility for their own actions too um especially with with regards to um you know, other people's health and safety, you know? It'll be interesting to see like what happens from here because I, I just spoke with a couple of people who I know are in Mexico right now and who have said it's pretty open, like masks are required in some places, but not really, you know, you can eat indoors. It's, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty much like anything goes at, at this point. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they try to lock down more because that's kind of the the hanging rumor around that I'm hearing, but it doesn't seem that's going to happen. I mean, I hope it does. You know, I mean, the, the funniest part is that um, the people who were most angry with me, I could send me like mean tweets and, and emails and I'm fine with that, dude. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a loud Jew on the internet. I get that kind of shit all the time. But uh, the funniest thing was uh, this, like it was almost all exclusively like white people who make their money off things in Mexico. You know, like this guy's like, Twitter handle was literally something like Latin American capitalist. That was like the <laughs> name of his Twitter handle. And he was like, basically like his whole thing is like helping Americans make money in Mexico. And I was like, you're the fucking problem, dude. Like, like you're literally what's wrong with the world. And uh, those, those are the people who, I mean, I, you know, I got, I got friends who are in Mexico now or who have been to Mexico during this who like wrote me and they're like, yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. And, and honestly, the, the conversation, I, I had a conversation with another friend who was thinking about going and that's what was like, finally made me think I want to write this article because you know, uh, my wife had been talking about it a while before that too. And it's like, oh, we got to say something, you know, it's not, not, you know, and, and hopefully other people will, will not be mean to their friends on the internet, but ask their friends to think more about it in a, in a constructive way, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I, like, I go back to the point of like, if you, if, if traveling is your business, then, you know, if you're an influencer, you know, or I hate that word, but like, you know, if you're making travel content, Right. There's stuff around you. I, I, I genuinely think that there's, you can tell us there's stories everywhere. 
don't necessarily have to go somewhere. And on this interesting side is when people do travel to these places, they don't talk about what it's like with Corona, just sort of like in the background, you know, like, like that's to me in the travel world, like that's what's the story is. I mean, that has to be everywhere. Like, what is it like there? Are we wearing masks? What's going on? And so on. And that seems to be missing. I think a big part of that is like, I mean, if, if your listeners want to look at someone who makes content about where they live, check out a, a lady in London. Uh, she's a friend of mine and she's got a huge following, right? And her whole thing is like showing off London and how cool, I mean, she goes to other places in, in the UK and, you know, obviously in other parts, she does lots of travel writing and, and photography, but like her Instagram is huge. She's like, I don't know, like 150,000 followers on that. And it's just showing off London. You, you could do that no matter what, even if you're in Fresno, you can do that, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, you know, travel influencer stuff. I mean, to be honest, like how many people are actually making their living doing that anyways? It's like, you know, there's, it's a very small percentage who are actually making a living off travel content. Uh, you might be supplementing your living, you know, uh, but I bet you you're probably also down there uh, just working remotely from your other job uh, on top of that. So you don't really need to be there. Uh, but beyond that, um, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's weird shaming people for this, but I don't know how else to get people to, to do it since regular education doesn't seem to be working. I I have thought about, you know, like I've thought about like, I, cause I, I mean, I follow but mostly people I follow are people who are making travel content. I mean, that's a big part of right. my following is tech and travel. So like, you know, sometimes I, I just feel like they're either like, I would just say, look, I'm just ignoring the rules. Like, let's just talk about it. But there are people who are in foreign countries who are saying, oh, like, I can't travel. It's so difficult. But I'm like, you're in a foreign, you've traveled to another place. You can't travel out of your apartment, maybe, or your street block or whatever the the lockdown happens to be. But you're now in a different, you are currently traveling. Like, that's the, you're not home. So Right. Yeah, I got a buddy who actually was um, stranded in, uh, his wife is from the Philippines originally, and they went there. To the, he, he's from California, and she's from the Philippines originally. They live, they live in the Bay Area, and they went out to the Philippines, where she's from, to have their baby. And then the lockdown happened, and they were like, you know, we're, we're on a small island in the Philippines, and um, how, how, how are we going to work? You know, it was because, like, he's a musician. And stuff, and luckily, he had a song that did well. He was getting a little bit of royalties off of it. Yeah, he wrote an article about that for my website. It was really fascinating. How like people, I mean, I, I think they're back now, but it took them months, months to get back here. Yeah, you would think that the hassle of just getting a test would just put people off to traveling. I mean, that's kind of how I think about it too, like, I, I, you know, as a barrier. But I I kind of feel like now, we, we, we go through this period now, when as spring approaches, I think it's just going to be doors open everywhere. I really do think that the travel industry and the governments are going to just say, oh, yeah, you need a test, but... You know. Well, I saw a headline today that Fauci's saying, um, there's a Fauci, Fauci, and the guy, the, you know, Anthony Fauci, uh, he's saying that um, in, in April, uh, we should be able to like really knock out like a whole bunch of vaccines. Like he's saying by April, it should be like wide open for like people to get vaccines, which is cool. Um, and so I think that also we're a little older. And I think that like a lot of the people doing this are probably like in their 20s, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe they don't think about other people. Like when I was in my 20s, I probably didn't think about other people as much as I think about other people now, you know, it's really easy to be self-centered and like wrapped up in your own shit. And I imagine like the articles are reading in other places, like, you know, Washington Post and stuff like that. And it's people who are like, you know, in their twenties or early thirties going down to these places and, uh, and, and, and partying and, and spreading disease. 
yeah, it's, I don't know. it's, it's tempting, right? Like, you know, when this first started happening, I was like, where can I go? Like, what would be interesting? And then start to realize like, okay, <clears throat> this is not going to pass quickly. Like this is something that's a bigger than, you know, I originally anticipated. And then it's like, well, now, you know, you run the risk of getting stuck somewhere too, which doesn't seem like fun. Yeah, I thought about that. I was, uh, I was when, when it's all started to lock down, when it started locking down California, I was visiting my parents in San Diego. And, and like, I love my parents, but the idea of being locked down with them, like, I was like, I got to go, guys. I got to get, get back to San Francisco. It, so I, I get that. I, I don't know. I just hope this shit's over soon because um, it'd be nice to go back to, you know, a different kind of normal. Uh, how, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll end with, the, you know, how do you feel about, my thinking is, you know, once I am vaccinated, it's pretty much, I can then feel comfortable traveling. I don't know if the science says that yet. They say they're not sure if you can still transmit the disease, you know, when you're vaccinated, but I kind of feel like, isn't that the point? I mean, you, you know what I mean? That's right. like part of the point. And I feel like most vaccines work that way. So I, you know, that's kind of my thinking. I think it, yeah, I think ultimately the, the science is out yet about like whether how easy it is for you to continue to spread it to people who are not vaccinated. But uh, hanging out with people who are vaccinated would be seems like it'll be pretty legit. If you know, like if you and your friends are all vaccinated, go ha have you know, can have indoor parties again or whatever. I'm not a scientist, but I think that's what I've read. You know, what's interesting too is that Mexico, now that they've not really closed, as people who have been maybe re responsible or who now are waiting to get vaccinated and travel. You know, Mexico might have like a leg up on a lot of other places because they're already kind of open, you know, whereas other countries are going to take a longer time. They're going to have more restrictions. So in that way, they might, it might kind of, I mean, it's a huge cost that they've paid, I think, in lives. And they, they might in a weird way kind of have an advantage over everybody else. Yeah, for the rich people though. The poor people are the ones dying and the rich people are going to make more money on the, on the back end of it, you know? That's probably, that's unfortunately the system has it set up, but uh, it sucks, you know? So would you say that when it does open up, is it better for the average Mexican if more tourists arrive? Do you, I mean, do you think, can we look at it that way that, okay, you didn't go during the pandemic, but now that you're vaccinated, you're helping the Mexican, you know, local economy? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're, if you're not at risk of spreading disease, yeah, you know, but I think that, you know, the Mexican government should be, you know, mandating that people do get vaccinated before they go down there well i appreciate your time i, I really want to have you on for a full episode and and talk about all the all this i mean you, all the writings that all this stuff you've done I'd, I'd be really interested to talk about it but i appreciate getting your feedback on what you wrote because it i it really resonated it seems like it resonate with a lot of people on Twitter and it seems like you've gotten a lot of interesting feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I generally do. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, if you can let everyone know where to find you, your Twitter handle sure. everywhere. I'm a broke ass Stuart on, on all platforms. Uh, broke ass Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. It's a funny name. It's a, it's a long story. Um, but yeah, check me out. I'm, 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 I'm funny and sarcastic all over the internet. Check me out. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Stuart, for being a guest. I will leave, like I said, all of the links to find Stuart and all the articles I talked about in today's episode down in the show notes. And if you haven't already, if the uh, the contest earlier in the episode didn't entice you enough, please feel free to leave your five-star review wherever you're listening to the Fox Nomad podcast. Thanks very much for listening. I am excited. We've got a lot of cool episodes planned in planning coming out, so expect some of those right up soon 
But for now, thanks very much again for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.